0: Cognitive therapy contains material which may be distressing to some listeners, such as domestic violence, animal cruelty, and mental health issues. A podcast one production. Roxanne was just a teenager when she first started living on the streets. She'd started using drugs, and soon she wasn't able to function. Then one day she made a mistake that she would regret for the rest of her life. How did you lose your hand?
1: Um, I... I overdosed and um, my hand was touching a heater for eight and a half hours. I signed a do not resuscitate form in the hospital. I did not want to survive. They had to go to VCAT and override my do not resuscitate form. I was really ashamed of myself and I really, really, really hated myself. I didn't want to be alive with one arm. I, my brain couldn't really understand it. Back then I was on drugs, so my comprehension of things wasn't very right. I got Onyx ex- two days after I got out of hospital. So the second day that I was out of hospital, we went down to Bendigo and got her. I couldn't even go into a shop and order food. I couldn't go to the supermarket. I couldn't do anything. But then the second Onyx was old enough to start coming with me, I was a lot better.
0: According to Roxanne, Onyx saved her life. While they were living on the streets, Roxanne looked after Onyx and Onyx looked after her. And the loyalty between the two of them became stronger and stronger, even if Roxanne isn't able to give her everything she would like.
1: I mean, some people probably have a lot more money and they could buy more toys and better beds. And But if it comes down to me getting new clothes or Onyx getting something new, Onyx gets something new. I go to the op shop for everything. Onyx comes first.
0: And when I asked Roxanne what she'd be without Onyx...
1: Without her, I probably wouldn't get up. Like, there were a lot of times where I wouldn't have gotten out of bed, but she needs to go to the toilet and she needs to eat and she needs a walk. So it's more important than me staying in bed. I think
0: we all think that dogs can understand everything that we say, but they probably can't understand everything. If she knew everything that you were saying and you
1: wanted to tell her something really important what would that be? That she's my best friend and that she's the the most pure soul in the whole world. I don't know how to say it. She's so special to me. So special to me. She is the world. She's my world. That's why I don't know if she knows how much I love her. That's why I tell her all the time.
0: My name's Laura V, and welcome to Dognitive Therapy, a series that explores how human behaviour shapes dogs' behaviour. Today's episode, Loyalty. It's hard to know where to begin when trying to summarise the life and achievements of Corporal Mark Donaldson. In 2002, after losing both his parents at a young age... Mark joined the Australian Army and proved himself to be a natural soldier. He passed intense mental and physical tests to become a member of Australia's elite special air service, the SAS. Tours of East Timor, Iraq and Afghanistan followed. Then on September 2, 2008, in a valley in eastern Afghanistan, he and his squad of 35 were ambushed by Taliban forces. It was here that Mark made a snap decision that would alter the course of his life forever. During the attack, one of Mark's squad members was left behind. While the bullets rained down on them, Mark made the choice to run back to his team member, picked him up and carried him back to the vehicle while taking enemy fire. Eventually, the surviving members of his group managed to drive out of the canyon and were helicoptered to safety. Mark was later awarded the Victorian Cross Award for gallantry from the Australian government, the ultimate symbol of heroism. Mark still has a bullet in his left hamstring to remind him of what he's been through, but this isn't the story of Mark. It's a different story. It's a story of his dog, Devil.
2: Devil was my special operations military working dog. Uh, so he was uh, a Belgian Malinois. He's an awesome little little buddy. Um, he was one of these dogs that, that, at the time during our program, we had the luxury of just. Ch- picking and choosing the quality animals or the quality dogs that, that we came across. So whether it was through a military system or through the civilian system, um, we, would, we would choose dogs with potential. And then if they passed our selection process as, as the humans do, to get into a special forces unit like that, that uh, and then we would take them on for further training. And, and he was one of those dogs uh, that I, I'd started the, the handling process over there. And, and you know, it was, a, it was uh, one of those specialties that was kind of new, um, in a way, uh, within within the within the Special Air Service Regiment, and uh, you know, it's an exciting new specialty that I want to be a part of because of you know many different things, but one in particular is that you got a dog by your side and it just adds a a force multiplier to to when you're on the ground. So Devil was a, a Belgian Malamar, like I said, that we picked up uh, from a civilian breeder, civilian trainer, who showed a bit of promise, and yeah, we put him through our program, and yeah, he became my dog that I used for you know, to use.
0: Describe the relationship you had between the two of you.
2: Yeah, it it was strong. And it's one of those things, having, you know, mucked around with a few of the dogs over there before I came across Devil, uh, we just seemed to click. And I I don't know how else to explain that. I don't know the, you know, the terminology to to really describe that, uh, you know, certainly for the listeners out there. But it's just one of those things. You come across the dog, we we just seem to gel. We seem to click. We seem to understand each other. Um, you know, we went through the usual power struggles, but um, when it comes to that job. But when the program kind of first started, it was about the, the traditional military working dog role of, of um, detection and detaining a suspect. So, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, finding humans and then getting a hold of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with what the dog has, which is their teeth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, use their nose, use their teeth, and, and the things that we don't have, um, we're not, we're not going to find. People in this particular incidents instance, probably until it's a bit too close, or or it's too too late. Whereas the dog having forty thousand times the olfactory system that we do, let's tap into that and let's utilize that for for uh, our purpose. And that evolved into okay, we can train them really well to find people, but but the other danger over there certainly at those times as well was was IEDs and explosives and and weapons so, and booby traps. One of the things we wanted to do was have a dual role dog. So traditionally you would have, um, let's call it an attack dog mm-hmm. right, or, or a, deten- a detained dog uh, and, and a bomb dog or a sniffer dog. So for the way we worked, we're, we're light, we're agile. We don't want lots of people. So to have that capability, have both of those capabilities, we'd need to take an extra person. That extra person might not be as highly trained as we are. And then you got two dogs. You're taking up extra room on a helicopter. You, know, you can sort of see where it goes into. Mm. So we said, well, why don't we just combine the two together? Um, and and a lot of people were telling us, you know, it's not going to be possible. You're going to get less of both capabilities because you know the dogs aren't cl- smart enough to do this. And and we sort of said, well, sure, okay, but but in who in Australia has done it? You know, and and this is this is what we need. So we, we really um, without sort of blowing our own trumpet, we really broke new ground in particular for, to a degree, for for Australian military. Uh, And and coming back to Devil, for me, you know, he had that ability to, once he understood what, what he had to do, was to switch between the two. So if I needed him to, you know, primarily try and find people, he could do that. And then in the next, very next room or the next second, I could give him a different command and he could then go and look for explosives, weapons uh whatever we trained him to to sniff out narcotics if it was you know along those lines so all of a sudden we've got this amazing capability where you know i'm not a burden to the patrol because i understand the tactics the dog brings double the amount of skill that that other dogs bring um you know and and it's an intimate part of a patrol or a team and you know it's such a force multiplier for our guys
0: was there a time when you believe devil saved your life
2: yeah a couple of times. Um, so one particular time we'd conducted this mission that ended up being a 13 hour fight and uh, it, it turned into about 12 of us, myself uh, with Devil and another operator with his uh, working dog as well. So really there was only, you know, I mean, you could argue 12 two-leggeds and one two, two four-leggeds, but um, we had to clear this sort of 50 compound village, which is, is really concentrated and it's quite large for that amount of people uh, and, and these, the enemy had, um, bedded down. They'd been told to, to take as many with us as they could, um, and best of luck, you know? So they were, they were in a, uh, live or die situation. They had no escape because we'd cut off their escape route. Uh, so it was just about us then going through and finding, finding where they were and, you know, whether they gave up or whether they, they wanted to fight to the death. And majority of the time they fought to the death, and one particular part where two of, two of us, so myself and one other guy, we entered into this compound. Uh, he went to the right, I went to the left. He got into a gunfight within about half a meter within this very small room um, with two guys. So this other operator, myself, I went to the left, like I said, and then I was trying to cover him from the other side of the compound. Devil kept going into this room behind me. Um, I could tell by his... Um, body language that he was interested in something there, but also focused on on the other side, you know, the actual, where the bullets were flying at the time. That's, uh, in the end, I just said to him, you know, mate, just whatever, keep going into that room then. And uh, then I heard a ruckus off to my right and, and, you know, he had a hold of a guy who had a gun, uh, who was waiting for one of us to step through that room. And, you know, if it hadn't been for him pushing into there first and, and I would have gone into that room then you know that guy would have would have definitely got me from you know from the flank of that room with the way the room's set up so you know that was that was one instance um <laughs> there was other instances where you know the the dogs uh, alerted the patrols early you know to that enemy presence and uh, unfortunately you know some of them got killed in action doing that
0: where does loyalty come into it when you're working with dogs
2: so the loyalty part is is uh huge because um, I think, I think us as humans, we become very arrogant and, and we think we know everything mm. and, and we're always right and we're proven wrong. And one of the things I certainly learned around loyalty training with Devil in particular was, you know, trust your dog. And there were so many times when, you know, I was second guessing him. And even, even when I thought I knew where something was in a training run, because the, I'd asked the guys to set it up for my training, yet they'd gone and changed it just to prove that whole point, right? Um, because I thought I knew better. Uh, that, 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 it was that process of learning how to trust your dog. So um, <clears throat> loyalty is a massive thing. It really is a massive thing. And it goes both ways, right? It, the dog has to trust you as well, that you're sending it in for the right reasons and that, that, that you're not just burning it out. Um, the dog doesn't know that, but really, but, you know, there comes an element of, um, loyalty and trust there because if you send it 20 times and it gets no result, you know, mm. how how well have you trained together as a team that on that 21st time he's still going to go and do that um, because he knows eventually that there's going to be something, mm. you know, eventually there's going to be something. So it is – a it, people go, oh, it sounds awesome, but to get to that level is – yeah, so many early mornings, so many late nights, um, so much time spent doing short block periods with them to build that up. Mm. And, and you know, that's where that loyalty aspect comes into it. Once that trust gets built, I think the way dogs are so tuned into the way humans react and respond to things, especially when you get those wins early, um, whether it's in training or, or on operation, you know, uh, or operational duty, the human will be so excited about that. So they, they, they'll they read that for sure and go, oh, okay, this is a real one. So you've got to be really careful with how you respond, you know, physically in particular because they're, they're going to be queuing off your body more than – and the sound of your voice more than, um, you know, more than what you realise.
0: Do you think there's a likeness between what devil did for you in battle and – what you did on that day that resulted in you getting Victoria Cross?
2: I think there is a, a parallel, you know, whether it's Devil or Quake or Fax or, or in particular Cougar. Um, you know, those four dogs in particular who are, who are all from SASR and Special Operation Military Working Dogs that, that have been killed in action, they all in some way, shape or form on their own accord went, went ahead and, and decided to, to do their job and that resulted in, in you know, the, the saving of saving of other people's lives. So, yeah, definitely, I could say there's a, there's a correlation. And, you know, just recently, Cougar got awarded um, what they call the Victoria Cross for animals, the the PDSA Dickin Medal, uh, first one for an Australian dog, and the first one for an Australian animal since uh, World War Two.
0: Why did Cougar get the award?
2: Yeah, so. Um, I'm telling this secondhand because Cougar was, uh, one of the special operation military working dogs that was, uh, with another handler at the time. Um, uh, and I, I, can't name his name. Um, but they had helicoptered into a valley, uh, and were, were, making their way through what we call the green belt. So that's a very vegetated area, heavy with, with, um, you know, high corn, grass, trees, very thick. It's not, not completely jungle-like, but it's really, really quite thick and, and close. And it's not what people necessarily picture when you say the word Afghanistan, you know, they, they think rugged mountains and, and desolation and desert. Um, but where the people live is very, very rich in soil and very rich in, in the green. So they'd helicoptered into this, um, position, uh, and he was attached to a team, the lead team that were, that were going to push up this valley towards this target compound. Um, you know, they were, they were, maybe a k or two away from this compound and they're making their way up uh, up this area and they had a river on their flank and as they're making their way up they had the the dog out front they had cougar out out in front who was on alert for that human presence and he alerted down towards the river made his way down to the river uh, and and started to swim across the river on his own accord Uh, as he was making his way across the river he was engaged so he was out in front of the patrol at this stage out in front of the people um, the The Australians and he was engaged in the river and, and got hit um, as he was crossing the river and because the handler had moved into position to be able to see where he was, uh, he came out of the river, then went up the bank on the other side, like further away, uh, and and engaged the enemy presence that was there. Got a hold of one of the the enemy um, guys, combatants that was firing on him. Um, the handler was able to get into a position to be able to support him, support him by fire. So to be able to put gunfire down onto that position as well. Uh, and there was a few personnel that were in there, in that ambush location. And Cougar had a hold of one of them who, who then continued to shoot at the dog at such close quarters that um, you know, he got hit uh, five times, I believe it was. So you know, through his chest was probably the worst one and shattered his shoulder. Um, this caused him to, to release and he, and he came back down the river and, and the handler was calling him back. Uh, he then swam back across the river with a broken shoulder, uh, having been shot five times, uh, and back to the handler who then they moved him into a um, uh, an area where the helicopter could come in. Started to keep him alive, started to work on him and try and keep him alive. Um, but what it had done had, had stopped the Australians moving forward because you now take that situation and don't have a dog there, the Australians would have walked forward and and they would have been ambushed from that flank position and potentially, you know, a high potential loss of life um, because of the nature of how wide the river was and how close they were to that position. So because of Cougar, you know, doing the actions that he did, it it ultimately saved the lives of those Australians. Um, Cougar, unfortunately, was wounded pretty bad. Uh, one One of the bullets having shattered his shoulder because he was shot through the chest, the toe, uh, through his ear and through his cheek. Um, and some shrapnel from, from one of those rounds uh, ended up in his spine down further down his back as well, quite close to his, to his spinal column. So he got evacuated. Um, he was then um, kept alive, transported to Germany, which is what they do with the two-legged soldiers as well. Uh, when they're in a very, very serious condition, they used to transport them to the, to the medical facilities in Germany. Uh, he stayed there for a few months until he was stable enough to be taken back to Australia. Um, and and there was a, there was actually another dog in that rotation that was shot as well that, that lost a leg. Um, so they had to amputate his leg so but just a, just a sidebar. but um, he was also flown to Germany. So it was, it was, they, they flew a whole C17 to take these two dogs to Germany. but um, they flew the dog back to Australia and then Cougar made it maybe six months. Back in Australia, but had a few complications from those from those wounds, and, and unfortunately, died back in Australia. Um, you know, inconclusive, but they believe it was it was generally from from the um, from being wounded in action.
0: What an extraordinary dog! An incredible story, and there's so many things that are striking about that dog. In action, and one thing for me as a dog behaviourist, you know, people struggle to get their dog to come back on the lead in an off-lead dog park. But um, Cougar, after being shot five times, swam back through a river back to his handler. It's extraordinary. How do you think his handler developed that relationship and trust with him?
2: Yeah, a lot of time and effort. You know, just yeah. a lot of time with the dog, and and a lot of trust and loyalty. And the way one of the ways we used to, the best ways we used to do that was not just through training. Scenarios or training. Let's take that one particular behaviour we want, which is them to come back when called mm. um, or when asked to. That's something you can practice and practice and practice, right? But when you want it to happen, is when there's absolute distraction, as you would know, happening or going on. So for us, one of the most important things was to socialise these dogs with the rest of the with the rest of the team, the rest of the troop. So one one of the ways we used to describe it was there's there's the, the animal's or the dog's dad, which was the handler. Right? And then he had a bunch of uncles as well. And that was the rest of the team. So it wasn't a, a one-on-one relationship. The, you know, that dog you know, knew that there was other members of his pack right? and they had a pecking order as well. So he needed to be social in and amongst that crowd. So one of the best ways to do that is to have the dog with you all the time. So the dog would be hanging out in the lines. The dog would come to orders. The dog would come and do normal day-to-day Mundane things, and it gets n- to know that okay, when it comes out of the pen, this is in training back at, back in Australia. Like it is to work, and, and, and it's to, to do the things you ask it to do all the time. But sometimes you're just hanging out. You know, you might just be sitting around in an office. You might just be 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 you know just doing normal things down in the gym, or you know, getting some orders, or or just working some emails or something. And the dog's just there with you. And there's a lot of time there where you get time to practice that distraction, you know, and those behaviors around, hey, listen to what I'm saying. Don't worry about one of the guys that's trying to give you a pat because he misses his dog at home. Um, you know, there's mm. and so I think a lot of that loyalty and a lot of that bond is built, you know, during that environmental exposure period, more so than than just the training scenarios for that specific behavior that we're after.
0: I'm Laura V and you're listening to Dognitive Therapy. If you enjoy this series, Give it a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to this show for free. You mentioned that spending a lot of time with your dog helps to develop that loyalty with your best mate. And I think for people listening at home, they have nine to five jobs and they have things on and they perhaps don't realise that they can't spend 24 hours a day with the dog how how can people at home build that loyalty and trust with their dog if they don't have all that time to, to invest into it?
2: Yeah, I think, um, it, yeah, look, I experience that now as well. I have two dogs at home that are certainly not um, at the same level of drive or, <laughs> you know, intensity that a Belgian Malinois has. So I can understand where people come from, you know, not being able to be home all the time. But there's probably two main things that that I would suggest, and my time during the military, one of the most important and critical lessons I ever learnt with training the animals, training the dogs was um, remember when to give them a good correction, and what I mean by that is we're, we're very, it's very easy for humans to criticise the animal's behaviour, and we always pick out it mm. when it when it doesn't do things right, you know, if it doesn't sit or if it, you know, it doesn't come when you can tell it or it doesn't do what you say. And and for me, a lot of that comes down to two things. You either haven't trained it, huh. right? Really, you haven't, or, or you you're always telling it what it's doing wrong. And we always forget to to give it a good old at a boy or a good boy tickle behind the ear, and and they love that, oh. right? That's what they they love that. And now some dogs just live for a pat, and it's it's when they do something correct. That's when we should be reminding them that that's, that that's the behavior that you like, right? That's, that's the behavior that you want out of that dog or, or that you enjoy seeing it doing. So I think rem- just remembering to give it a good boy every now and then or, you know, good girl if it's a girl dog because it reinforces that good behavior, you know. And, and the other one would be consistency and, and that's really hard when you're not around it 24-7, I get that. But my understanding and my experience is that they're, they they kind of like their left and right of arc, you know, they, they love knowing where the boundaries are to the left and to the right. And, and if that gets really blurred, that's when they get anxious and they're not sure, like some days they can do things and some days they can't. So if you're consistent with what it can and can't do, I think a dog generally then um, is, is a happier dog. Right? It's more understanding of what this relationship is about. You know? And, and you know, if it pushes the boundaries, it, it understands that you know it gets told it's not allowed to do that. Uh, and there's a consequence, but in in the same token, it's it's you being consistent as the human. You know, if the dog doesn't do what you're, you're asking it to then it's not the dog's fault. You know, um, mm-hmm. we had a saying: always look to the instructor. All right? So if the animal's not doing something in particular, what's the instructor done? Because you know that's the one that's taught it, and therefore what input was into that dog is is the behaviour you're going to get. What you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And, and I think that's what really comes down for those those tips and tricks. And remember to tell it when it's done something good and and just be consistent with your actions and your, your rules.
0: In my work, Mark, I'm a firm believer that dog training is not really about dogs, it's about people. And I often meet people who aren't consistent and aren't giving the dog what they need. And, of course, therefore the dog can't meet their needs either. So bad training, bad dog sort of, uh, I suppose... Relationship. Have you seen that in your line of work in the military?
2: Yeah, I think there's less of it in the military, yet I have, I have seen that. If you're a, you're a crappy person, you know, whether it's in the military or out, it doesn't really matter. They exist in there as well, but <laughs> you're going to get a crappy dog. <laughs> and if they're, they're negative and they're always um, correcting the animal or they're always aggressive at the animal, generally you'll get an animal that's fearful. So it only does its job out of fear, which, you know, is not good, as we know. Um, Or you just get this super aggressive animal and and that's just unruly and uncontrollable. And I don't, I'm not going to say there's not bad dogs out there because there certainly is, but I think there's, it's it's multiplied and, and exponentially passed on to the animal. You know, a lot of the time if it's an aggressive dog or what kind of breed should a person get? Well, I think they need to look at themselves. Like, don't worry about the dog breed. Mm. Look at themselves and go, what kind of person am I? What kind of family do I have? What kind of day job do I have? What kind of nighttime work routine do I have? And what kind of dog is going to fit in with that? You know, am I going to get upset if this dog craps on the floor? Am I going to get really aggressive? Am I going to be because I've got a super clean house and and I never want anything to be ruined. Well, maybe a puppy's not for you. Mm. You know, maybe maybe having to go through that process is not for them.
0: Do you reckon the behaviour of our dogs, whether it's good or bad, helps us understand more about who we are as a person?
2: I think if we're honest with ourselves, yes.
0: Mm.
2: So um, there's always this thing around. Oh, yeah, dogs. It's been proven that, that that dogs make you more relaxed. I've seen a lot of people that are not relaxed around their dogs. Mm. Yeah, the dog actually makes them more anxious because it's. That's that's doing things that they don't want it to do, but if I speak generally, I would I would say yeah definitely you know um, helping us relax is one of those biggest things. If you can if you can allow yourself that, right? So for example, if I go out the back and I just want to sit down and give the dog a pat and and just take a nice couple of deep breaths and and give it a scratch, and you see the look on that dog's face, and you give him a tickle behind the ear, and he rolls onto his back and he wants a belly rub, like you know that for me is such a huge thing and my time in the military when when we had the dogs around us and we we just you know they were just everyday stuff and they were around with us we used to see that a lot you know um if we brought the dogs into the lines or where the other guys were even if we're out in the field on an operation and 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 there was a bit of downtime between you know we'd finish what we had to do and the helicopters were coming to pick us up and it's, it's 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 not always on edge right that um guys had actually come from, a, from from across the field or from a different part of the battlefield to come and see Devil mm. or my dog um, and just give him a scratch and sit down and have a chat. They, they'd pat him, you know, and I'd allow that sometimes, you know, as long as he wasn't working um, for not too long though. But, you know, for, for because then they, they'd they start to open up and they go, ah, oh, he reminds me of my dog back home. Mm. And they'd tell you about their dog back home and – you know, they might open up into other things, but it, it's got to this point where you come into the room with the dog, and people would be like, "Hey, Devil, how are you, mate? Hey, well, hey, Quake, or hey, you know, Fax, whatever the dog was," and uh, and you'd be standing there going, "Hey, hey, fellas, <laughs> I'm I'm here as well, all right? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there's there's two there's two to this team, but <laughs> but I think that part of it is is what people. You know, that's what, that's the part that relaxes them. that's what they can get out of it is that connection, you know, that connection to that animal. Um, and it just, just, I think it can just make people just chill out a bit, you know, and not be so uptight and aggressive and outraged in this, especially in this day and age.
0: What have you learned from the dogs that you've worked with?
2: Uh, more than anything, trust your dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but, but I, what I've really learned is, is, uh, you know, love, um, as a bit mushy as it sounds, it is it is just that love for another being, you know, and in this case, it's a dog. And uh, I've seen hardened, grown men, you know, break down over dogs. And I've, I've seen them not react like that to their mates being killed. I've seen them not rea- react like that to, their, to the way that their families, you know, um, respond when we bring them home in a coffin. Yet... When their dog dies, they're they're in tears, and they're heartbroken. And for me, I think one of the things I've certainly learned is that a dog's love is unconditional. You know, I've learned that through that process. For us as soldiers, um, for us as as you know operators, it's conditional. We understand the conditions. We understand what can happen. Um, for us, the dog is unconditional, and I don't mean it unconditionally. Doesn't necessarily understand, but it's it's loyalty to you is unconditional it's not going to decide just to do its own thing it will be with you no matter what if it had the opportunity and and that's certainly one of the biggest things i've learned is is you know the love they have for us and and what we can learn from that um and one of the things we used to say if in doubt be more dog Mm -hmm. so you know if, if you're ever worried about your friendship you know what would a dog do um and and you know there's some of the things i've certainly learned
0: if you could talk to Devil or even Cougar now, what would you say to them?
2: Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably just give him a pat, you know, certainly Devil, um, behind the ear and, and just give him a good old boy," You know, well done, mate, you did your job. And, and that's probably about all I'd be able to manage to say before I uh, teared up, to be honest. But um, if anything, I'd just go for a walk with him and spend some time, have a little wrestle, have a little play and uh and just say thank you because you know even even devil's situation um you know the firefight that he he was killed in action in was was extremely close it was like about 10 meters apart from the enemy um and and the guys had had already taken an injury or already taken a casualty who ultimately ended up in, in being a um an australian soldier that was killed in action but um they couldn't find where this one guy in particular was and It was Devil who who went and found him and dragged him out from behind the tree. Uh, Unfortunately, he was shot at close range as well, like Cougar was, but um, ultimately Devil died during that engagement, unfortunately, because he was shot through the neck and it it severed his spine. But um, his actions made the other soldiers in that close proximity aware of where that enemy combatant was and they were able to deal with it. Um, So, you know... Because of that, I would, I would just say thank you to him. And that's about, I think, all I could manage, to be honest.
0: Corporal Mark Donaldson, thank you so much for your time.
2: Pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity and the time. And thank you very much.
1: When she was a baby, I would always say, I love you before we go to bed. Yeah. So now when I say it, she gets so excited. Because she used to get belly scratches and pats. And I'd say it. Onyx, I love you. I love you, I love you, (laughs) I love you.
0: This show was written by me, Laura V, and my amazing producer, Dave Swalinski. Audio production is by Darcy Thompson. Executive producers are Jennifer Goggin and Grant Tothill. If you want to see additional content, photos and videos of some of the gorgeous dogs in this series, go to our Instagram page at podcast1au or check us out on Facebook. Native Therapy is a Podcast One production, recorded in the Podcast One Studios, Melbourne.